Everyone, welcome to our first February edition of the Sports Cafe. I'm your host, Mike Mandel. We have Mike Weil in the house from Chi-Town. How's it hanging over there? It's hanging another week down. Hopefully the vaccine's coming for the rest of us soon. And just baseball's coming. It's keeping me warm a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're what, about a couple weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting to camp? Yeah, I think it's the 17th or so. Coming up, man. Felt like we just had the World Series. Now, Adam, how's it hanging in the in the Big Apple? Uh, we're we're all on here in New York. We're all on Trevor Bauer watch. I think we're expecting some news to break at any moment. Uh, I would not trust anything you see on Twitter. I am sure that whatever announcement is coming, you will find on Trevor Bauer's YouTube channel. So uh, I guess we'll stay tuned. Yeah, and probably his Instagram and his Facebook and whatever else he has. And Ian, how, how about a Nutley? You uh, you all snowed in? Uh, we got a lot of snow, but, uh, that was a couple days ago, so we're in a good spot now, but I think this was a near record, over two feet, uh, so it was, uh, quite a lot of snow, but at least had nowhere to go, so we're able to just kind of hunker down, and, uh, spring training sounds good right now, because, uh, it's supposed to be very cold over the next week or so, we're in the, call it the dog days of winter, ready for the spring. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun watching these guys in Arizona and Florida getting it ready. And we've got a lot to talk about tonight. We've got football, basketball, basketball, and baseball. So let's start with the uh, hottest item of the hour, the upcoming 55th Super Bowl. Uh, we have the, uh, the Clash of the Titans here with, uh, with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers led by the only Generation X quarterback that is likely to play next year, Tom Brady. And then we have... Patrick Mahomes going for a repeat leading the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid. So, um, last we saw, Chiefs have a uh, – they, they have negative three and a half points. So, Mike, I will start with you. Um, do you think the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are primed for a, a repeat or are the Buccaneers going to overtake them with the strength of Tom Brady and, and Rob Gronkowski? So, they say to just – as soon as you see the matchup, just go with somebody and stick with them. So the spread has changed from Chiefs giving three to Chiefs giving three and a half. But even so, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to bet against Tom Brady. It's not worked so far, but I think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs go back to back here. I like the Chiefs winning by at least three and a half. I I'm going with them. All right. And we'll move to Ian. I know you've got a, a nice history with Tom Brady, having conquered him twice in the Super Bowl. Do you think uh, the Chiefs will be the fourth team to do it, or the third team, fourth time? Yes. Um, the the Chiefs, to me, I think are the better team. I know in the championship game I picked the Bills, um, and the Chiefs really proved me wrong, and I think Mike Mandel, you were the other one to make that same pick. And yeah. I think they, I don't want to say they sleptwalked through the regular season because they were really impressive, but they didn't blow teams out, which in a sense, I guess, kind of threw me off a bit, thinking that maybe they weren't, you know, weren't prepared or just weren't taking it seriously, given that they won last year. But I feel like they've turned it on when it counts, and and, you know, there's just a lot of question marks with the Bucks team. Uh, you know, Brady, obviously, it's very impressive what he's done, but he's he's hit or miss at his age. I mean, he's 43. I mean, there's no one else playing that age. So he could pull one out again and have a miraculous game, but I feel like the more likely scenario is something we see 
um, you know, last year in New England where he threw that, it was a pick six, right, to end the game. So, uh, you know, he's gotten so much attention this past week, and I understand it, but I also feel like maybe he's not going to come through as he doesn't always do. He's had plenty of opportunities and and has, you know, probably the best quarterback of all time, but that's not to say there's some some blemishes, including the, the two Giants Super Bowls. So I will – you know, I guess go with my head here um, and uh, and go with the the road team, literally, given that the game is in Tampa, uh, and we'll take the Chiefs to win by more than four points. Okay. Or four points or more, I guess, would be the right way to say that. And on the merits, I agree with you guys. I, I, I'm i a fan of the, uh, the other team to have conquered Brady in the Super Bowl, although he, he beat us once, and I would agree with both of you guys. The Chiefs have been nearly unstoppable this season. They, they might have had one bad game against the Raiders, and everybody else, they either conquered or, or sat their starters. Um, they, they looked virtually unstoppable in their game against the Bills. Um, it, as hard as it is for teams to repeat, the Chiefs look like they're in every position to do that. And, and if you look at the um, the other game that happened a couple weeks ago, the, um, the Bucks and Packers game, I think that the Packers, they, they let Brady get away with mistakes that the Chiefs probably won't let him get away with it. He threw three interceptions, um, and Packers only capitalized on one of them. And I don't see the Chiefs allowing him to get away with that. So everything adds up for me to believe that the Chiefs will win. However, I haven't actually done so well in my picks this season, especially in the playoffs. I think I had like a 2-6 a and six record in, in the entirety of the playoffs. So... Um, I've got to expect the unexpected here, and I'm going to go against my my gut here. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers to either upset the Chiefs or at least keep it within three points, and for Tom Brady to somehow continue winning Super Bowl Bowls at age 43. And Adam, I know you wanted some time to stew on this. Uh, what are your thoughts now? It's going to be a great game. Uh, I think if you had asked most football fans at the start of the season what would be the most desirable Super Bowl outcome outside of your own favorite team in there. I, I, I don't know anyone who would have not signed up for this uh, from day one, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. And I don't think that any of us or any experts out there can definitively say who's going to win this game. I mean, it, it's it's such a toss-up. I know the spread is three and a half, but it really is a toss-up. You've got the juggernaut Chiefs trying to defend their Super Bowl, and then you've got Tom Brady. Uh, you know, as Mike mentioned, Really hard to, to, to bet against Tom Brady this time of year. Uh, the Bucks are the hottest team in football. They won seven games in a row dating back to the regular season. Uh, Tom, obviously, with plenty of Super Bowl experience, is 10 Super Bowls. So I, I'm just looking forward to watching. I think it's going to be a, a great matchup. Uh, classic young versus old. Um, you know, dynamic offense on one side versus a really good defense. Um Although the Bucks can certainly put up points with the best of them as well. Uh, interesting stat that I just wanted to bring up. So this is going to be Patrick Mahomes will be playing in two Super Bowls before ever losing an NFL game by more than one possession. So think about that. How many years that's, has he been in the league now? That's three, amazing. Three years or something, and he's never yeah, lost a game started. by more than one possession. His, his, his last loss by more than one possession was back in 2016 in college versus Iowa State. So I think if there's anything – we can say with certainty is that Kansas City will not get blown out. Um, 
I think that's safe to say. Uh, look, my, my preseason pick was Kansas City over Tampa Bay, uh, so I think I have to roll with that. I think what we've seen with Tom Brady in the Super Bowl is that virtually all of his games are very, very close. Um, I think every single one of them has been within a touchdown except for maybe that one uh, very forgettable Super Bowl against the Rams a couple years ago. I, I, I want to say that they... They won that they might have won that by two possessions so um yeah. i'm gonna take the the chiefs to win it uh the three and a half points is very very enticing uh, i i would have confidently picked the chiefs at minus three three and a half gives me a little bit of pause um because i i could see the chiefs winning this game by three points easily but uh just because i i don't want to pick against the chiefs here i think they're going to win uh, i'll take them you know minus three and a half um but i do expect this to, game to be within a touchdown right that's the fear that i have when it moves the three and a half that as i you wouldn't said, be betting yeah i would not be betting real money on this that, that three and a half is yeah but you know Brady what in a super bowl it's hard to say it's hard to right. see the chiefs winning by multiple scores i see be them winning maybe by a touchdown six points let's say right. but it could easily come down to a field goal for both teams because you never know. Tom Brady could be Tom Brady of the first half against Green Bay where, aside from him throwing an interception at the end of the half, he looked great. The first drive, you know, he came out looking like he did 10 years ago. So you never know what you're going to get with Tom Brady in terms of at his age now, can he sustain the performance? As Mike said, he had the three interceptions last week, but it's a Super Bowl. The adrenaline's going. He's in his home stadium, at least for this year, and the Bucks are in their home stadium, so we've never seen that before. We don't know if that's a huge advantage for them. They're going to probably, I'm guessing, get to stay at their houses the night before the game. So it's something where we don't know if that's going to play a big role and we don't know what Tom Brady we're going to get. Are we going to get vintage Tom Brady or are we going to get the Tom Brady that threw three picks last week? So even though we keep saying Tom Brady is a story, he really is because if he, if he doesn't have a good game, the chiefs are going to, the chiefs are, they could blow him out. But, yeah. but the odds makers, the odds makers really nailed it at three and a half. That, that is the perfect number. If you think, if you think the chiefs are going to win this game, but you, also understand that every Super Bowl Tom Brady plays in is a one possession game, usually determined by a field goal. It's it's the perfect number to um, you know to really make you pause and say, "Geez, I don't know which way we're going to go here." And at three and a half, there's no push. You, you got to pick a side. So, and you look at what happened earlier in the year. Remember, Tyree Kill had that huge first half against the Bucks. He had what three touchdowns? He was on yep, pace I would, for a record set. I would pace one by three in that game. Yep. Uh, he had like 210 yards, I think, in the first quarter. By the way, guys, how about an interesting storyline here? The fact that Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are both in the Super Bowl. Didn't think about that. Well, one of them's going to go home with a ring. I'm that sure is, Ben Roethlisberger is, is scratching his head. He's like, what's going on here? These guys got back to his Super Bowl prided. Too much of a role, although I guess you never know. I could see, Brown, I could but, see Brown. Yeah, yeah, I could see Brown yeah. getting involved. That Le'Veon Bell has been pretty quiet. Right. But, That's uh, a crazy story because both yeah. of them were so elite for the Steelers. They, you could argue, both of them were the best of their position. Yeah, and then nobody was the on them. <laughs> but and they're both in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so. yep. 
it uh were they on the were they bell wasn't and brown i don't think was either the last time the steelers were in the super bowl i think that was like 2011 it was so long ago i don't think so, they were on so the that neither was, of them have ever Holmes, plexico right. Bryce, i think yeah. neither of them have ever played in the super bowl and it's ironic that they were so good for the steelers and they're each going in a secondary role now yeah, although it seems like with with Tampa Bay, it's it, it is the re- reunion of the old guys with with Tom Brady and Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, and of course Bruce Arians coming back after a short retirement. I, I feel like it, in the end, that's why I, I could still pick them because it, it almost seems like it's all coming together. They're all reuniting in sunny Tampa, where, where they have home field for the first time in Super Bowl history. Granted, it's not going to be full capacity, but there'll still be fans there. It'll still probably feel somewhat like a home game. Um, and I want to say the the game they had earlier this season was in Kansas City, so this will be the reverse of that. Um, but either way, it, it's going to be an amazing game. And I was going back and forth about my pick the entire past two weeks, so it, it's going to be. Uh, now hold on, we we may have to eat our words here. Uh, Antonio Brown was a rookie in 2010, so he would have played when they won in 09. Okay, and, no, he would have played in. Uh, they lost in 2011. 08, I should say. To the Packers, right, right. So Super he, Bowl yeah. forty-five, right. Although so it's was, saying he's it's never saying won. here actually in two thousand eleven, he only played in one postseason game. So I no, I think it's messed up because right, the Super Bowl is technically the year later. So like the two thousand ten season was like the Super Bowl was played in two thousand. Yeah, it was the Packers Steelers. That yeah, that's what it was. Okay, so he, he did, yeah, Super Bowl. He, he did play in, in a Super Bowl. I think his rookie year. He was he drafted. Was not in, one. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, this could be his chance at age what thirty three. I guess he's the spring chicken of that team. <laughs> but he's not that old in real world years, but he's he's an old man now in NFL years. <laughs> He's our age. I know. He's 32. Exactly. How crazy is that? <laughs> that you don't exactly. think like that. We're the old guys now. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a great time. I know that. I know we'll all be watching in the comfort of our own homes instead of our usual Super Bowl parties, but we'll be back at that next year, I'm sure. So moving on to some other football news that I think was somewhat unexpected, given that next season doesn't even officially kick off until, I want to say, March 17th, but... A blockbuster trade was announced a couple of days ago in which uh, Detroit Lions quarterback Matt Stafford is going to be going to the Rams for their own starting quarterback, Jared Goff, uh, two first-round picks and a third-round pick. Uh, Stafford and Goff uh, notably were both first overall in their respective drafts. I want to say Stafford is a good six years older. So this surprised me, but... uh, Adam, I'll, I'll ask you to tell me whether I'm wrong or not for, for thinking that the this is a total steal for the Lions. What, what do you think? Yeah, so I've heard a lot of people say that, and I don't know that I agree with that. I, I would actually call this a win-win. I think, I think both sides made out pretty well. You look on the Rams' perspective, and Sean McVay had a great quote. He said, we're not trying to win the trade. We're trying to win the Super Bowl. And look, the Rams are pretty close to being a Super Bowl team, I would say. They've got a really good defense, and you could argue that their Achilles heel has been the quarterback position. Uh, they, they did make it to the Super Bowl with Goff a couple years ago. I think you could argue that they made it in spite of him. But this team is ready to win a Super Bowl, and arguably the quarterback is what they are lacking to, to get to that next step. So from their perspective, you're trying to win the Super Bowl. Your roster is is 
pretty much there, and you've just made an, a major upgrade at at quarterback. So is that worth you know two first round picks and a, and a third round pick? To me, I, I think it probably is. Uh, and then you look on the Lions side, um, you know, getting two first round picks back for Stafford, I think is good. Uh, I believe they took on all of Jared Goff's salary, which is not ideal. And you have a new head coach coming in. So I think you kind of have to ask yourself, like, are the Lions trying to win now or are they rebuilding for the future? Because you have Goff now under this massive contract. So he's your guy long term. So I guess the question is, do you believe in Jared Goff? Do you think that he can? he's the guy to turn the Lions around and make them competitive in that division? To me, I don't think he's the answer, but maybe a fresh start is what he needs. Again, they have the, some extra draft picks now. That'll help. But I think if you're talking about um, you know, long-term success, which team has the better chance to be competitive the next three seasons? I think it's the Rams. Yeah, Adam, I agree with you. I think that... In football, the teams that make it far, we see it now in this year's playoffs as an example. They all have really good quarterback play. And Stafford is not necessarily an elite quarterback, but his whole career, he's been a very good quarterback on some bad teams. So now he gets to go to a team with a great defense, some really good weapons, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, a good three headed monster running back, and Cam Akers started to emerge at the end of the season. So I, the Rams did give up a lot. The Rams, I thought, were being criticized for giving up too much because you could argue the Lions came away really well. They got Jared Goff. You need someone to play quarterback, and he was a high pick. He has upside. He hasn't lived up to his potential, but he's been to a Super Bowl. And two first-round picks and three and a third-round pick, that's a good haul. The reason why I agree with you that the Rams won this deal is because, A, they got a quarterback that can take them to the Super Bowl next year, and B, if they do have a good record and their picks are at the end of the first round, you didn't really give up, you know, franchise. Cha- it, it's hard to say whether a late first-round pick is going to amount to the same thing as a relatively early first-round pick. So, Adam, I agree with you. If you can get a quarterback and you believe you're going to do well in the next few years, then you're giving up essentially late first-round picks and a third-round pick and a quarterback who you've grown disenchanted with for a guy that can potentially take you to a Super Bowl. So I love the deal for the Rams. I love the aggressiveness. So I'll turn to you, Ian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I'd give the Rams as much credit as as Mike and Adam are. I I, I understand the move. It's the ultimate win-now move, but I just don't love Matthew Stafford. I understand he's likely an improvement over Goff, but he's to me average to slightly above average. I don't think he's impressed too much in you know the three postseason games he's played in. He is consistent, and I think that's something that you don't have with Goff. I mean, Goff just looking at his numbers. I know Adam, you were saying you know they kind of got to the Super Bowl in spite of him, but his numbers were really good a couple of years ago. I mean, he threw for almost five thousand yards. Had uh, what was I looking at here? Yeah, thirty. Uh, like 32 touchdowns, um, 12 interceptions, and he regressed. I mean, he, he was a little worse in 2019, and then he really, you know, was not great this year. So they probably see, you know, see things in him, and they don't think he's going to improve, but he is still young. So I, I like the, the Lions taking a chance on him, but 
I don't know that he's going to put uh, the Rams over the top. Um, Stafford is. I, I mean, that's a tough division. I, I, I understand the move, but I'm not sure he's the guy I would trade for. I mean, I assume they checked in on Deshaun Watson, a guy who I'd much rather, and I guess he'd have to give up a lot more. But um, to me, he's you know one of the top elite quarterbacks in the league where I consider Stafford more of a average to slightly above average guy. So in- I, I don't have a problem with them giving up a, a lot. It's more of the return that I wasn't in love with. The, the counter I'll make to that is if you look at Goff's postseason stats from the year they went to the Super Bowl, he played three games. Uh, he only threw for 712 yards in the three games with a QB rating of 71, one touchdown, two interceptions. So th- I know that team was very heavily driven by the run with Todd Gurley, but that's, you know, a quarterback who throws one touchdown in three postseason games to me is, you know, he's more of a game manager. He's not yeah, no, the he guy that takes you over the, the top. No, I, and then, I of course, agree. we all remember that awful Super Bowl where the Rams couldn't move the football. <laughs> yeah, I don't <sighs> think he was the answer. I, I agree. Um, and, I, to me, and, you know, these kind of starting quarterback for starting quarterback trades very rarely have ever happened. So it's a really interesting one for sure. But I, I feel like if maybe they pulled the trigger a little quickly it would have been good i would say as a you know if i were rams fan to kind of see what what else was out there and and you know the offseason hasn't even started yet i don't know if you needed to make the move immediately but um i'd be curious to hear what what rams fans are are saying i don't know if anyone's kind of checked out sports talk radio in la or anything but um you know i like the aggressiveness of it but i am i I don't know I'm, i'm not in love with stafford yeah i and I'm I'm still not convinced that 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 it wasn't a steal for the Lions because I'm I'm looking at the trade and I think Mike and Adam you, you make a great point that you know, winning now is more important than maybe winning later. But making that move, I, I'm not even convinced that Stafford is better than Goff at all. Let let alone being enough of an upgrade to to give away two first round picks. Um, I mean, yeah, you can you, know, you made the argument with with Goff being a a pretty big turnover machine and not having the most success in the playoffs, but he's still pretty solid. He's still you know, with Sean McVay, turned the Rams from afterthought into contender. Um, and he's got a pretty high completion percentage. Granted, you know, most of the passes he misses but, are turnovers. But remember, but, part, of, but part of the reason they gave up the picks was because Detroit is taking on all of his salary. And that's a that's a yeah. massive contract. I mean, that's, a, right. that's not a good contract. So I understand it from that standpoint. But it just didn't seem to make sense to do it for Matt Stafford, who I do not believe is an upgrade. I mean, you could talk about Goff being somewhat, you know, he's a decent quarterback. But I feel like Stafford, he's at the same level. I don't see him as, you know, I haven't really seen any evidence that he's any better, that he'd be capable of taking the Rams further than they're taking him. And that, that's why I feel like the the Lions won out because they are still getting these draft picks. And, and yeah, they, they don't expect them to, to necessarily be great draft picks, but they'll still be first-rounders. Um, I don't think the Rams have had a first-round pick since they picked Goff, in fact. Um, so maybe, maybe you guys be right. Maybe I'll be eating a lot of crow, but I, I still just don't see where where the Rams went out on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't know what the near-term future is for the Lions. I don't know if you guys saw the press conference with their new head coach, Dan Campbell. Um, he had this kind of uh, crazy rant about how we're going to go out there and rip people's kneecaps off and eat them and, like, just crazy talk that had nothing to do with, like, football and strategy and to me, it was one of those. I, I got the vibe that like you can tell right off the bat this guy's gonna be a disaster. Um, 
but yeah, you just kind of wonder like what kind of culture they're establishing. Is this are they trying to become a win now team? Are they building for the future? Um, I, I don't know. If I were a Lions fan, I'd be overly. Well, they've been with... in this this kind of in between for what <laughs> almost our whole lives. Yeah, and now they just traded for a you know a middle of the pack quarterback who a a Super Bowl contending team wanted no part of. So. Maybe he told them that he would be all in on ripping people's kneecaps off. We don't know. <laughs> on offense? <laughs> yeah, on offense. That you take the defensive linemen, if they're going to get close to Jared Goff, maybe Dan Campbell asked, would you rip their kneecaps off if given the opportunity? And Jared Goff said, yes, I would dislocate them if I could. So you never know. That could have been why they were convinced to pay the whole salary for the rest of the contract. You never know. But as a Bears fan... We've been fighting with the Lions for the bottom of our division for the better part of the last 15 years, and I honestly don't think Jared Goff scares me very much, so I'm happy that they have decided on Jared Goff as their quarterback of the future. Not that I can talk, but um, interesting trade for them, but they got a bunch of picks, so people said they did well. I I doubt Stafford scares you much either, though, right? He was better. I I think... I put Stafford up there with a guy like Matt Ryan that they've been consistent in their careers. And I know that Ryan went to the Super Bowl, but I think Stafford, he was number one pick. If you look at his numbers, when he's had a good supporting cast, he's been really good. And I think most importantly, I think we we are all losers here because we now get stuck with Jared Goff on Thanksgiving every year for the next (laughs) however many years the contract is. So I think that's a, a loss for all of us. Yeah, we'll see. With Maybe all respect to the tradition, they they need to move Detroit out of the. I mean, I don't think Stafford is lighting it up on, on Thanksgiving either. So I, yeah. <laughs> I don't. And we and we got ourselves a downgrade. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's a wrap for football. Um, next, we'll we'll get into basketball a little bit. Here we are, six weeks into the um, twenty twenty slash twenty twenty one season here, and our. Uh, our beloved Sixers, they are at the top of the East to start out the season here, while the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Jazz are all fighting for the top of the West. So um, I'll, I'll start with uh, with Ian first, who, whose team has been you know, somewhat surprising here. What, what do you make of the first six weeks, um, you know, as far as who the top contenders are? Yeah, I think there's a number of surprises. Yes, you can say the Knicks are, just because expectations are always so low, at 10 and 13, they're a pleasant surprise you know kind of fighting for the eighth seed but i don't know if i'd call them one of the biggest um the two sticking in the east i think your team has to be one of the surprises in terms of how dominant they've been i think we all expected them to be one of the top teams um but sitting at 16 and 6 with Embiid playing the way he is i think that's a surprise for for a lot of us on the flip side for me is washington the wizards and how atrocious they've been i was wrong on this. I thought I told you guys. I told you. I said what did I say? I said (laughs) Westbrook is not gonna make them any better. I told you that. Yeah, and I guess I love Westbrook. I mean they are at the bottom of the league, uh basically them in Detroit fighting for uh last place. Um they've just been pathetic. So to me I thought they'd at least be kind of hovering around five hundred, but uh yeah, they just have not been able to put it together. All right, now I'll, uh, I'll move to Mike, who's uh, who, whose Bulls are, you know, they're, they're a bit interesting this year. It's, some games they, they they played incredibly, other times they, they leave your head shaking. So what, what, what do you think so far, the first six weeks? You know what, I like Billy Donovan, what he's brought to the team. 
I think that you're seeing a lot of progress from guys like Zach Levine, who's having a career year. Larry Markin in the last couple of games has finally played up to his potential, and he's still too inconsistent. But overall, they're they're playing really entertaining basketball. I mean, it's fun to watch the Bulls play. They're in every game, and they need to learn how to finish. So when they learn how to finish, I like where this team is heading. I, I think that they need a star or, you know, a guy that's a headliner. I think they have a lot of really good role pieces, but they don't have that guy that you can say is the number one on a championship team. So it'll be interesting to see what moves they make to to get that piece. But I'm very confident now with Arturis Karnaschovas is the um, president and Mark Eversley, the GM, and Billy Donovan, head coach. You, you finally have a competent basketball operation. So in the future... I see the Bulls doing much better than the last couple of years. So we'll we'll see. Regarding surprise teams, I agree with Ian. Mike, your Sixers, by far to me, it, it shows you what a coaching change can do. That Doc Rivers comes in and takes the it's pretty much a similar team, right, Mike? I mean, did they what did they do anything earth shaking in the off season? Not huge. They they bring in Danny Green and, and Seth Carey. Right. I mean so you get some role players. Some but, role, yeah. But it, at no the same moves. time, you, you see that the system that Doc Rivers implements, uh, Joel Embiid, to me, is the MVP right now. You can't, at least in the conference, he's been by far the best player. Um, so the Sixers are the biggest surprise. They're the number one seed currently in the East. And then I want to say, just because I didn't see them at the top, we have Lakers, Clippers, Jazz. But the Jazz here are... They went through a lot of turmoil last year with Rudy Gobert being the first person that was kind of joking about COVID and obviously he had it. And there were a lot of teammates that were upset with him and they coalesced. I mean, they, they didn't do much in the bubble, but this year they look great. So the I would say that the Jazz, to me, are the biggest surprise in the West just because I saw the Lakers and Clippers at the top but i saw the nuggets where the jazz are now that they were kind of that third team uh, and the nuggets are are doing well but you got donovan mitchell he's playing great gobert's playing great their role players are having outstanding years and i'm interested to see if they can keep this up for a whole season yeah and uh i think they're giving adam a little more heartburn than he expected although clippers also at the top with new coach Teron Lue. So how are you feeling about that? Yeah, the, the Clippers, you could argue, are a better team than last year, which I, I didn't expect. Uh, the, the newcomers, Nicholas Batum and Serge Ibaka, have, have made an impact. I mean, look, I I still don't see them taking down the Lakers uh, in the playoffs, and I think they, they certainly have some demons to overcome after last year's epic disaster. But um, I, I have to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, the Nets are awesome they are must watch tv they are without question defense yes they don't play any defense (laughs) but they they are just awesome to watch they are um i i'm kind of kicking myself now for initially questioning the trade if these three guys are healthy first of all they can win if one of them goes down but if these three guys are healthy they they will win the east without question we'll see about that um and and mike (laughs) you were quick to 
to mention uh, Embiid as the clear-cut MVP, but I said in the conference. That, I said in the. Well, I know. Well, I'm going to counter that. You could argue that. The, yeah, Kevin Durant, who I think was Ian's preseason My pick, preseason pick. Um, is having arguably the best season of his career statistically. Um, I know he he's not really able to play back-to-backs right now, but he's averaging 31 points, seven and a half boards, five assists. He's the playing best great. Player. But he hasn't, to me, played. A, sorry to interrupt. I don't think he's played enough. But, I mean, I respectfully, it's your, yeah. it's your pick. He's <laughs> having a great year. But uh, you know, I, I know, I know that the Nets are more of a uh, a bigger story nationally than maybe they are locally. I, I think they're they're pretty relevant here in New York. But um, you know, I, I find myself tuning into them, you know, pretty often. Um, the the chemistry is a lot better than I thought it would be. James Harden has quickly emer- he he's the one that's clearly sacrificed his game and he's turned into a, a more of a distributor than a scorer. Uh, I mean he's averaging I think eleven assists a game and he this guy genuinely makes guys better. Um, he makes his teammates better. He's a great passer um, and it's it's been just great watching him play every night. Um, you know the chemistry is there. Kyrie. Has has had a really really good season, um, you know. Provided everything's okay mentally and he's there for the long run, um, you know, it doesn't flake on them in the playoffs. Uh, they're they're going to be really tough out. Yeah, and I'll uh, I I will take a, a couple seconds to uh, to toot the Sixers' horns, um, especially given Adam's doubts at the uh, beginning of the season as to whether I had any credibility. Predicting their rise to the uh, to the championship, but hey, they're atop the East. We've got Doc Rivers was the Eastern Conference Coach of the Month, Embiid, Eastern Conference Player of the Month. He's making as strong a case as he could right now. Um, so I'm I'm enjoying this. I think that the coaching difference uh, certainly has been a factor, and the the biggest thing that they seem to have solved is their um, their former inability to win on the road. There's still a sizable split between that and their home play, but whereas before it was a disaster, now they are currently above 500 on the road, so they keep this up. Yeah, I think them and the Nets are gonna, you know, probably have a showdown in the conference finals. But I'm, I'm ready for that fight. Um, and and one other point on the Nets, you know, they they will acquire some veteran who's bought out or something. And one of the names that I've heard, which I mean would be a perfect fit, is Andre Drummond. And I mean statistically, he's a monster. But I know that Cleveland wants to give Jared Allen more run. But I had heard rumors that. Maybe he's a candidate to be bought out, and Drummond would be a perfect fit. I mean, a guy who can just rebound and play a little defense. Um, you know, DeAndre Jordan is not you – know, he's a liability at this point. But um, if not Drummond, I'm sure there's another guy out there who um, the Nets can scoop up late. So I think despite their uh, defensive woes, I think that they'll add some pieces here to kind of clean that up. And possibly J.J. Redick, too. I know he's talking about the uh, the Nets, the Sixers, and the Celtics as being the teams he wants to go to. And I, I think we'll do the same, too. I, I, didn't, I don't imagine the Sixers are going to let the trade deadline pass without making any moves. Um, they will likely sure up their power forward or center position. Um, there still is a little bit of weakness when Embiid goes down, so they will want to shore that up. I think Howard, um, he's clearly past his prime, um, so I want somebody who's a little more consistent. Um, you guys have, have clearly taken the... Uh, the, the, the best surprises of the season. So I'll go with one that's you know, maybe not quite as as talented yet, but still a, a pleasant surprise, which is the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I think Michael Jordan is probably as excited as he's been since having watched himself in the last dance um, early last year. Um, they're, they're playing 500 basketball right now. Um, they, they could easily mm-hmm. 
find a way into the playoffs, um, even if it means an early exit. Um, Lamella Ball, he is making a strong case for Rookie of the Year. Um, really putting up some great numbers there, especially on defense. Um, watched him play just last night against the Sixers. Arguably even having a, a better rookie season than his elder brother. Uh, and then Gordon Hayward, who he was brought in to be their best player, but I think even he's outperforming expectations, especially given that he's in you know, the somewhat older department. 31 is hardly old, but he's I, I guess he's almost as old as us, which puts him on the older side. Um, and P.J. Washington, he's been a pretty solid defender as well. Uh, so I like what I see from them. As far as disappointments, I've got to go with the Mavericks. People were talking about Luka Doncic being the uh, the favorite for MVP, um, but the Mavericks aren't doing so well right now. And as good as his own numbers might be, if they keep this up, he's not going to be anywhere near the MVP conversation. Um, it's still early. They have a chance to turn this around, but I think they're 13th in the Western Conference. So yep. they've got some work to do if they want to um, prop Luka up a little bit for, for that MVP And Ian, contest. you've got to be... Ian, you've got to be pretty thrilled about that. I believe the Knicks have Dallas's first-round pick this year. Yeah, no, that is, is a that pleasant right? surprise. And uh, I see they're probably going to lose at home tonight. They're down 18 uh, to the Warriors uh, late in the fourth quarter. So that, uh, that's that been, yeah. I thought Luka was, you know, he was, uh, I think he was the favorite, right? He was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, was, I, yeah. he was the yeah. odds-on favorite. I picked yeah. him at Mike that yeah. I was going to say Mavericks have been extremely disappointing this year. Um, and I mean, I think statistically he's, I mean, he's having a great year, but Luca has been great. I don't think that they generally weigh team success as well. He's almost averaging a triple double. Yeah. The yeah other, I mean, the team needs to pick it up. The other the big disappointment the is, is the heat. I would say that if you, if yeah. you look at the East, the, the heat are almost at the bottom. And to me, the Heat at the end of last season, they were in the finals. They were the surprise team in the bubble. They looked great. They have great young talent. And then what happened this year? Is this a hangover, you think, from their success in the bubble? Is this well, just them crashing back down to earth? I mean... Well, I think there's a I think there's a couple of good explanations for that. Number one, which I think is most relevant, I, I believe Jimmy Butler has missed a bunch of time this year, right? Didn't he sit out because of COVID protocols? And yes, he's the heart and soul. Yeah, he's only played in nine games. Yeah, but I think the other thing which uh, people probably forget about is, I mean, yeah, the Miami Heat played until um, early October. They had the shortest offseason tied with the Lakers, but I don't think the Heat have the same talent level as the Lakers where they can kind of coast through the regular season. So I think that very short layoff between the NBA Finals and, and opening night is probably having a, a bigger impact on them than maybe people realize, and that's and especially when you don't have Jimmy Butler on the floor. Yeah, and then the injuries are more likely to pile up for a couple of their older guys. I think Dragic went down again for a couple of games. So something else that happened, um, we, we we all probably heard about the um, the the verbal scuffle between LeBron James and. The woman whom he dubbed a courtside Karen. The uh, the officials ultimately decided to eject her and three of the other fans uh, from the game for shouting obscenities. Um, no consequences on LeBron. And Adam, I'll, I'll go to you first. Um, I know you are, I'd say, the biggest fan of LeBron among us uh, with the argument that he might be even better than MJ. So what, what are your thoughts here? Um, should she have gotten uh, ejected from the game? Uh, should LeBron have faced consequences? I mean, I, I I think LeBron said afterwards that he didn't think that they deserved to be ejected. But look, if you're one of the 
few people right now who has the privilege of being not only able to attend an NBA game live in person, but sitting courtside, uh, I think you need to exercise a little bit better judgment. Uh, given how few people there are in the stands, uh, anything that you say to a player is going to be heard, uh, whereas in a, in a sellout crowd, you can probably get away with certain things. So, uh, look, I, I think that um, you know people have... a a responsibility to be respectful of the players on the court. And obviously LeBron objected to something either she said or her husband said. And um, I think that they were certainly within their rights to throw her out if she said something that was object uh, objectionable. And it sounded like based on her, uh, her rant after the game on Instagram that she was a little too, um, you know, fired up. I think she was a little too hostile and she probably said some things that she shouldn't. Some salty language. Yes. And Ian, all this without wearing a mask as well. Um, <laughs> there being mere feet from the players. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, to me, it seems like a publicity stunt for her to increase her following. I mean, I didn't read too much into it beyond watching the funny John Boy breakdown. But, uh, you know, she's getting more attention than she probably has in her life. And, uh, you know, that's probably what she was thinking if she... I mean, maybe I'm giving her too much credit, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, a kind of a crazy, absurd story and, and, uh, seeing LeBron give her the heave ho was entertaining. But can you, watching... he... uh, I was like, can you imagine watching her Instagram video and saying, Hmm, I like this. I'm going to click follow and I want to see more of her updates. <laughs> right. I mean, after the video, no, but watching her i'm sure some people were intrigued to be like who is this person and then you see her on it her, before the video you see her on instagram and then that video is just a, a rant of extreme proportions for two minutes i mean and she's 25 years old which i don't know if i believe that or not but um it's just as lebron said though it's nice that there's fans at least some fans courtside that the players feed off of that. And this is a reminder of the intensity of the game. And if this happened in a packed stadium, as you guys said, this would not be an issue. I'm sure that there's fans courtside every game that are yelling things to the players that are just as bad. And the players can't hear. The only difference is, is that there's no one else there except for a few people. So to me, she probably did say something. It's hard to know, but LeBron did say he enjoys having the fans and the fire lit under him by the detractors. So I'm excited just to get fans back into stadiums. And this is a good reminder of, A, don't get too drunk at a basketball game when there's no fans and wear a mask, but also be what fans bring to a sporting event and really without the fans it's it's not the same so that's that's my big takeaway from this whole craziness yeah and that, that, that's a good point um you know, especially given how, mu how much more the players are able to hear versus when when an arena is packed and I'll, I'll add this it seems like we're all pretty aligned on the subject but i'll, I'll at least add this I, I do think that the the officials absolutely made the right calls um and that yeah, LeBron did not deserve any consequences at all. Because the here's the thing I tend to have a problem with, is that a lot of the fans who were the most verbally abrasive, 
they are people who think that, okay, we can say whatever we want because we know that the players can't hit back. They have to, you know, show professional candor or whatever it is that they're supposed to show. Um, but that, that same requirement should be said of the fans. They're, they're coming to an arena to watch these guys, and it's supposed to be classy on both sides. And every team at the beginning of each game says, we will not tolerate any obscenities or you're to be ejected. Now, obviously, 99% of that doesn't get enforced because it's either not heard or, or not cared about. But the fans have to be held responsible as well. Um, so I'm very happy the way that it shaked out, and, and I like the fact that LeBron had some fun with it. So what I'll do, I'll, uh, I will move to, uh, to baseball now. We have a couple of topics to discuss within the offseason. Um, first, we'll go with free agency itself. So a lot of signings over, over the past few weeks as we've gotten closer and closer to spring training. But I'll, uh, I'll start with Ian here, the Yankees fan. Who do you think has made the uh, biggest splash thus far? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've seen a lot of signings over the last few weeks. Obviously, as of this recording, Bauer is the biggest name that's still out there, likely going to the Mets, nothing official yet. Um, The biggest, I guess, you're talking about as a team or just overall? Whatever you want. It is your time. (laughs) I mean, I really liked some of the moves the Blue Jays made in the past couple weeks, um, getting Springer... Uh, Semyon. It seems like they've also finished kind of number two in a few different uh, sweepstakes, including DJ LeMayu. I think with the Rays falling back this year and and you know kind of uh, potentially taking a year to regroup and you know shrink their payroll even further. Well, they did re-sign Chris Archer, who I kind of forgot about, but they still gave him six and a half million dollars guaranteed. Um, I think the Blue Jays have have been impressive. They have so much young talent on that roster. They gave the Yankees fits, especially late in the season last year um, when the Yankees were playing them in Buffalo. I think they've you know made some uh, strong signings to improve their team. And um, I guess we don't know where they're going to be playing this year. Rumor is they may play in their spring training site at least to start. But I know we had similar discussions last year of it being really hot down in Florida during the summer. So um, they might have some of that, uh, you know, nomad nature of who knows where they're they're going to be uh playing their home games but that said uh i really liked what they've done this year this offseason and think they um will be the main competitor in the AL East to the yankees and adam i know that you, your beloved mets are uh, prob- possibly on the verge of uh landing the uh former site or the, the the reigning Cy young champion uh trevor bauer what do you think are they going to make this deal uh, that, it seems likely. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up, but uh, it sounds likely, and I'm sure we can break it down more next week if that is the case. But I, I did want to talk about what I think is clearly the best move of the offseason. That is actually Ian's team, the Yankees. The fact that they were able to sign DJ LeMahieu for $15 million annually. Uh, I know they, they stretched the contract out six years, but uh, he's a really good player, and they got him at a, a huge discount and I remember thinking you know when they had signed him to a two-year deal and thinking how much he had outperformed his contract and thinking about some of these other guys the Yankees are going to have to pay eventually like Aaron Judge and um, you know maybe Severino down the road and I remember thinking well you know what uh, on the plus side as, as someone who roots against the Yankees they're going to have to give this guy a boat ton of money to keep him after his two years are up and the Yankees got him at a huge discount um I think the Blue Jays probably offered him more. Um, 
you know, I'm sure part of this was was uh, you know pandem- pandemic driven as far as his his market value, but uh, I think the Yankees got an absolute steal, not just in getting a great player back on their terms, but affording themselves the flexibility, um, you know, in future seasons to bring in premier talent. I think the Blue Jays, at least the offer I saw was, uh, I think, higher per year, but it was only four years instead of six. But no, to your point, I think it's really helped. And it's let the Yankees make a couple of, you know, uh, I guess you could say risky moves, bring in Tyone and uh, Kluber and still staying under that 210 luxury tax. Mike, I know your team was a bit of a surprise in the short 2020 season. You made a bunch of uh, young acquisitions that ended up paying off. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking about this offseason? I know they've, they've been fairly quiet, but um, have you seen any big splashes? Well, in terms of the question of who won the offseason or who made the best signing so far, I, I love the Blue Jays getting Springer and Semyon. Um, I think that they went for it. They they did what I wanted the White Sox to do. And Mike, to your point, a lot of our prospects could be superstars. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Jan Mancada, all these guys have superstar potential. But you need to supplement those stars with other stars through free agency. And unfortunately for me, Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox owner, continues to be way too cheap. They could have had a guy like Marcelo Zuna to plug the designated hitter. They still can have Marcelo Zuna. They're not going to do it. They could have Nelson Cruz, who they let go back to the Twins, their biggest division rival. And if you're an owner that wants to win, what better way to win than filling a position of need with your biggest rival's best hitter? So it's just, it it irritates me. It's the same thing. But in terms of the offseason signings, the Blue Jays, in terms of who won the offseason, um, and Ian just put this in the chat. The San Diego Padres, I was going to say this, their pitching staff, not only did they trade for Clevenger, I know he's out, but they traded for Clevenger last year. They got Snell, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove this offseason to pair with Denilson LeMay and Chris Paddock. That rotation went from a weakness to one of the best rotations in baseball. And A.J. Preller just deservedly got promoted to president from general manager in the Padres organization because he made the aggressive moves, drafted and signed the prospects that let them make these trades while still keeping their top prospects and just loading up in their rotations. So I'm really angry at Jerry Reinsdorf. The Liam Hendricks signing was a nice signing. Lance Lynn trade, fine, you have him for a year. He's good. But teams like the Padres that were really aggressive in the trade market and teams like the Blue Jays and the Yankees who have signed guys that can propel them to the playoffs or the World Series, they had good off-seasons. So who won signings? Blue Jays. Who won the off-season? The Padres had a phenomenal off-season. Yeah, the, the Padres are probably right up there with the Mets with who won the off-season. And I think of the two teams, it's the Padres who are most likely to benefit immediately. They were already contenders, surprisingly so, um, last season. So I think fortifying their pitching is going to make them, you know. I'll, I'll be able to weigh in on that question if and when the signing happens. I'll, I'll right, if the Mets get power, they're, yeah. they're right up there. Yep, no, that's that's totally fair. Uh, as of now, the Padres what do you think, are... What do, you think about, what do you think about D-Day? Uh, D-Day. Uh, Didi, getting him back for two years. 
Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up. I mean, both him and Real Muto, I expected both of them to leave the team. And it turns out we get both of them back. So um, I certainly won't complain. I liked them both. Uh, well, Didi was pretty new to us. I liked what I saw last season. Real Muto is possibly the best catcher in baseball. So um, keeping him on the team was a pleasant surprise because I figured that they wouldn't want to shell out the cash. Um, you know, that said, we were, what, a 500 team the last three seasons. Haven't made any huge moves. So what we're really counting on is for our current players to improve a lot this season. Um, if the Phillies are looking to contend, that's what's going to have to happen unless they make either a last-minute trade that I'm not seeing um, or, or who else knows because the, you look at the Harper signing, you, you look at bringing in Didi, um, you look at Zach Wheeler, like that was all supposed to make him a, a contender, and so far they haven't been able to really get above their 500 status. So They've shored up their bullpen a little bit, right? A little bit. But, you know, again, I, I, I got to see him on the field. Like – They've made a lot of moves that just haven't translated into many more wins. So I would love for you to be right, but I'll believe it when I say it. it is, as optimistic as I usually am on the Sixers and, and the Eagles, I, I <laughs> the Phillies have let me down too many times the last few years. It, it's a tough division, though. The NL East is brutal. I think the Phillies would be a much more competitive team if you put them in half the other divisions of baseball. So it's, you know... I don't think they're as bad as maybe you think they are. Um, I know the bullpen is just absolutely brutal, and they have lost them countless games over the last few years, but I, I, I would still expect them to be competitive. I hope so. I mean, not not bad so much. They're, just, they're not good I mean, enough, you, as you said, in that division. Nola Wheeler is your top two. They have a good offense. I think it's really – I mean, can the bullpen pull it together, or you know, are they going to be as atrocious as they've been the last couple of years? Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, as I said, if you move them to the central somehow, the, the results might be a little bit different. And speaking Adam, of the... Oh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, Adam, if the Mets do get Bauer, I would put them over the Padres rotation and the Padres offseason because you re-signed Stroman, you got Carrasco and Bauer. I mean, yeah. that's... I will say, you know, Carrasco, I know he's a good pitcher. From what I'm reading, people think this guy is amazing. Yeah. Um, which I hope is the case, but like and Lindor, you got too. Like so a, like, I thought he's like Carrasco's maybe like a, a solid number three, but everyone's like he's a really strong two. I'm like okay, I didn't like, I didn't realize that, but I guess having seen him in the Central Division, he was he had cancer, he survived, and then came back after surviving, and and he wasn't himself last year, but he was building up to that. But before the diagnosis and before he had to take some time away. He was yeah. phenomenal. He was the Indians' best pitcher, probably, or most consistent, while Kluber was dealing with injuries. So yeah. I, I love have, that. To have Strowman or Syndergaard as your number five starter, it's I mean, that's, crazy. that's pretty solid right there. Yeah. As I said, I want to see if he's as good as Cliff Lee was for the Phillies. He, he was part of that trade all the way back in 09. But I will move on to our next topic. I know we were just talking about the uh, dumping on the NL Central a little bit, but um, one of their teams, the uh, the accidental 2011 World Champion St. Louis Cardinals, they uh, they just got themselves a major acquisition from Colorado in All-Star third baseman Nolan Arenado, who may well be the, the best third baseman since Michael Jack Schmidt. Um, and I'll start with you, Mike. Uh, I know it's not your division, but uh, among the Central teams, uh, what do you think the impact is? I mean, this makes them the favorite. It's the the Cardinals 
underratedly they've they've always done it with these scrappy guys that are under the radar like Matt Carpenter you don't really think of them as star players but they have great numbers but now you supplement the Paul DeYoungs of the world with you got Goldschmidt who is a big get for them a couple years ago and now Arenado so your two corners are two of Goldschmidt is either in his prime or slightly past his prime but Arenado is squarely in his prime um that infield looks phenomenal so um I think the Cardinals are now squarely the favorite it'll depend on the health of the pitching staff for them but you look at that division the Cubs clearly have regressed and they're losing players left and right and the Brewers are question mark they're kind of up and coming they're looking at Justin Turner, there's rumors today of him potentially going to Milwaukee along with former Cardinal Colton Wong and the Reds who disappointed last year but still have a lot of talent. So if you were to ask me who the favorite was, I would say the Cardinals first, then the Reds second. Those are the top two to me in the NL Central. The Reds, really? I mean, the Reds yeah, the Reds. Kind of selling off pieces, right? They, But they still have enough where... I think that they're better at this point. If the if the Brewers get Turner, then I put the Brewers ahead of them. But the Cubs lost Darvish. They lost Lester. They lost Kyle Schwarber. Chris Bryant may be traded. The Pirates are rebuilding. So it's a question of who's better, the Reds or Brewers. I know the Reds are selling off pieces, but they still have a lot of young talent. Arenado really is a St. Louis Cardinal-type player. Doesn't he give you that vibe? I mean, between him and Goldschmidt, those are like two typical what i would associate as, as cardinal players but um to me like this is really disappointing for baseball i think you have nolan arenado who is a superstar player in, in the prime of his career he signed a long-term contract with the hopes of being a rocky for life and not only did they trade him to a, a, another national league team they didn't get any top 100 prospects back and they threw in $50 million in the trade. They basically gave this guy away for nothing. And if I'm a fan of the Colorado Rockies, I mean, how do you, how can you support that? How can you get behind that? It, to me, it's a huge flaw in baseball where you have these small market teams that don't want to compete. And this is what drives me crazy about the idea. I know I've mentioned this on, on previous podcasts, but the idea of expanding into other cities when you have so many franchises right now that are not consistently trying to put a winning product on the field it just it rubs me the wrong way a guy like nolan arenado should be a colorado rocky for life and the fact that they gave him away for nothing not only not only gave him away they, they threw in 50 million dollars is to me it's just a bad look for the sport i don't know who's to blame i don't know how you fix it but it just it doesn't feel right to me yeah it reminded me of the stanton trade uh you know similar with the marlins kind of giving him away throwing in some of the, the salary relief and the Yankees not giving up top prospects. But it seems like this one was even more egregious from what I've read. But I it seemed, though, like Arenado was asking out, and that's likely because the team was not investing around him. I mean, he, who knows? I mean, he might have been giving given certain promises before he signed the long-term deal, and the Rockies just, for whatever reason, decided to kind of blow things up. Um the other thing I would say, just looking at his contract, I mean, yes, it's a great move in the short term, probably the next three years, but he's on the books, although I know there were some discussions that they're adding some opt-outs or, or things like that, right? But 
he's on the books for what another seven years or so like there the back end of that contract um you know could get pretty messy i guess he can opt out after this season and after next uh that said though obviously this is another one of those win now moves and and for a division that's definitely ripe for the taking especially with um you know the cubs kind of falling back and potentially rebuilding and, and things of that nature so um definitely love the move from a cardinal standpoint and and agree with adam that it's just a it's kind of a sad move when you look at it from baseball as a whole. Uh, you know, the, the Rockies basically waving the white flag in that really tough NL West. And I, I think I saw that with the $50 million that the Rockies are kicking in, that Arenado is basically getting the same AAV that George Springer is getting. And I think we'd all agree that we'd take Arenado over Springer, plus he's younger. So in that case... Plays a premium position. Yeah, the Cardinals, I think, are getting... It's a, a, it's a fantastic deal yeah. for that i don't know when i saw that trade i was floored at how little the rockies got i would be furious if i was a colorado rockies fan which well which makes me even more mad that the mets not only traded for robinson cano and took on most of his salary they gave up their top prospect to get him which is like you look at what's yeah, going Cal- on now it's like how does that happen how do you have I mean, that's timing that's by the GM. brody Life is yeah. all about timing. But it's not, but that, and that, also was about not, that was not even a timing issue. That was just stupidity. He's making bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you cannot, you don't take on a contract like that and give up your top prospect. There's just no possible way you can justify something like that. The good thing is you won't see much of that anymore, at least not in the near future. Yeah, and I don't know that I want to get into the whole salary cap discussion with baseball. Um, we could probably go on and on about that. But... You know, I, I generally agree with the sentiments. I mean, given how dominant a third baseman he is, that's a specialty position. Um, defensively, he's about as good as you're going to get. Um, the, the only thing I'm curious about, because he's played his entire career in Colorado, and generally hitters' numbers are inflated there because the field is so much larger than all the other fields, so it's easier to get a base hit, yet the air is thin enough that it's also easier to be a power hitter. So I, I am interested to see if whether, you know, whether or not some of his offensive numbers come down a little bit um, when he starts playing in a place other than Colorado. I think he's yeah, still... Yeah, and I was going to... Yeah, I think it's a good point. I was just, just looking up his splits because I, I had heard some some rumblings that his were pretty egregious. And and his batting average is about 60 points higher at home, which that's you know that's a pretty big difference. He's hit 37 more home runs uh, and only five more at-bats at home. So I, you know, there's there's definitely a number of stats that that really he he's somewhat of a product of of course field, but you know until we see him playing you know full time in St. Louis, I don't know that we can fully equate his success to to being you know a product of course field. Yeah, I, I don't think we can yet, but I I do think it's something to look at, especially with those splits you just read. I didn't even know they were that large, but that's that's pretty significant. Um, I, I'd imagine he'll eventually get used to being in St. Louis. Um, but, but maybe that'll take some time at the beginning of the season. So we'll do one last topic on baseball before closing out. Um, we know there have been a lot of negotiations around different things during the offseason as to whether or not to keep the, the DH, um, whether or not to expand the playoffs. But I know one thing we're not even sure about at this point is whether or not the season will, will start on time. Um, the owners, of course, tried to uh, set some negotiations in and 
shorten the season slightly to, uh, to a 154-game season, so eight games less. Um, and I'll start with you on this one, Ian. Was this the right call to make, or should they have just moved forward? Well, first of all, I'm going to reiterate a point that uh, I feel like we've said before. It's just terrible to see them negotiating in public. Uh, there's so many leaks, and I think it's just bad for really both sides. It, it hurts the overall relationship, and at this point I would be – kind of surprised if there's not a, a strike slash lockout after the season when the CBA is up. Um, I, I think it's complicated. I think when you look at the offer on face value, it sounds pretty good from a player standpoint, enticing, you could say. But, you know, they, they were looking to expand the playoffs and a couple other ancillary things besides shortening the season and still giving the players their full paychecks. Uh, and I don't think they were going to increase the, the revenue for some of those additions that the owners would be getting. Um, and then there's another element that I was reading of just the fact of negotiating opens up kind of a lot more leverage for the owners in terms of the, the adjustments they can make um, based on some of the, you know, the agreements they signed before last season started. So from that perspective, it sounds like there's some nuance there. I don't my biggest question is, why is this happening now? Why are they making the offer in late you know, January, early February? This could have happened a month plus ago. Um, I understand the players' arguments. They're afraid of injuries. I mean, we're two weeks away from spring training. I, I would think especially pitchers are you know, pretty far ramped up. So from a, I guess, selfish standpoint, I'm, I'm happy. I, I would much rather prefer the season start on April 1st. But from a you know, virus and vaccination standpoint, I think if everyone had the best interests of each other in mind, it would make sense to push it back slightly. But you know, the financials are always what gets in the way. And Mike, I'll ask you: Do you think the eight games would have made that that much a difference? That it would have been a lot safer to to have waited a little bit to start the season. I don't know. I don't. It really depends on how the virus is trending at that period in time. So it's hard to know this far out whether it would make a difference. If it was relatively the same amount of viral infections going on or transmissions going on at the time i don't think there's a difference i'm happy they're starting on time to me the more games we get the better for us fans but if there's a big outbreak and you need a week or two to quell the outbreak or make it safer then that could make a difference but this far out it's hard to know adam what are your thoughts on this I don't have a strong opinion. I don't think that delaying the season a month is going to make it any safer to play. Um, you know, I, I hate the fact that, as Ian mentioned there, this is all negotiations. It's all being done publicly. Uh, there's nothing appealing or interesting at all about it. I think the fact that they, you know, it's February 4th and we still don't know whether there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League. It's just a joke. It's It, it puts teams at, National League teams at such a disadvantage to not know how the sport is going to be played. I mean, it's it's really impossible to know for certain whether you need um, you know an extra hitter or not, or or whether you can, you know whether the pitcher is going to bat. Like it's a, it's a big decision to make if you're a National League team. And so the whole thing is, I, I, I don't honestly, I don't even read the articles about it. I don't care. They'll figure something out. Uh, there'll probably be a lockout next year, and you know whatever it is, it is. But I don't think that starting the season a month later is going to have any impact on. Uh, safety of the players or the ability to bring in more fans yeah I, I think the surprising thing is they've had time 
the last season didn't end that much later than, than the baseball season normally does. They, they've had several months to negotiate here. You know, why are they doing it last minute now and in public on, on such big topics? And, and I think my thoughts at this point would be, if nothing's changed yet, then just keep the season as is. Let, if, it, if it's going to start on time, okay, but keep the rules the same as they usually are. No DH in the NL, even if I think it's more equitable. Keep the playoffs uh, to the five teams per league, um, and then put some more time and effort into it before next season. Have some real, you know, in-person discussions on it, which will be possible at that point. Um, like you guys, I'm I'm ready for some baseball. We didn't get all that much of it last season, and the rules were, you know, very unorthodox. Um, I mean, granted, they had to be, but. Given how little teams played each other, I'm looking for a full season in which we actually see um, most of the teams in the leagues play each other again. So that'll bring us to final thoughts. Um, Adam, why don't I start with you? I'm going to go back to Trevor Bauer, and I'm sure it sounds like he's going to sign in the next 24 hours, so I can give my full thoughts on next week's podcast. But I do want to caution people who are quick to uh label him as you know a uh you know a harasser of women or you know he's he's a misogynist Uh, i i just think it's so reckless to throw out terms like this when a it's not true you know look is he uh a little over aggressive on social media maybe but look if somebody you know says something insulting to you you have a right to respond to them, um, whether it's in person, whether it's on social media. Uh, I'm sure that whatever team he signs with will hope that he will tone it down a little bit. But I think to label someone a misogynist when he's one of the few players in Major League Baseball who actually has a female agent, uh, I think is just a lazy narrative. And we have to get out of the uh, the habit of, of labeling people and judging them uh, instead of looking at the facts. And to me, again, Bauer is is polarizing, a little bit controversial, um, a little rough around the edges, but I don't think that makes him a bad guy, and I certainly don't think it means he treats women poorly. Mike, I'll go to you. I'll let you give your two final thoughts. <laughs> well, this week, this week I only had one, but I'll I'll think of a second one, I'm sure. Just I'll take you up with, on the offer. Okay. Keeping with tradition... <laughs> Um, but my final thought last night, I read this amazing story. I don't know if you guys saw it, it was by Jeff pass and he wrote a story about the, uh, the San Francisco giants outfielder who was kind of a fringe player. His name's drew Robinson and he was having mental health issues and, um, he, he tried to take his own life and he didn't succeed. He, he actually was, he, he shot himself and survived and he sat there for 24 hours um, figuring out what he wanted to do, whether he wanted to just let himself pass away or to go to the hospital. And he decided to go to the hospital. He survived. The doctors did an amazing job. And he's alive now. He lost his eye. That was the one thing he lost. But he really changed his whole outlook and perspective. And it really was a moving story. And just shows what people are going through, especially during times like the pandemic and his health struggle really 
crescendo during the beginning of the pandemic because he was so isolated and um it just kind of it it resonated with me just because i know a lot of people are going through a tough time and especially being by themselves and it's important to know that er everyone from athletes to everyday people is has their own battles that they're fighting and there's just a really moving story so that was my final thought if you have not read the story go on espn.com i urge you to read it it'll certainly give you good perspective um and it's a really moving story so shout out to drew robinson i wish him the best i he's trying to make a comeback we'll see um and maybe he'll be back in the majors with one eye only one other person has ever played with one eye so um I know that was a little dark, but it was also a powerful story. As to my second final thought, um, go Illini. Big win at Iowa, and uh, they're the number 12 team in the country. A lot of the top 25 in college basketball are struggling, so March Madness coming up. That's my second final thought. And Ian, I'll, uh, I'll go to you. Um. Well, just a, uh, I just wanted to say one other thing on our MLB discussion. Um, I feel like this will not be the last of the rule changes and the playoff teams and all that. I'm sure we'll have more to discuss in future weeks on that front. And then I just saw on Twitter now, not uh, the, the baseball move we were, uh, I guess, all awaiting with Bauer, but Dexter Fowler uh, got traded to the Angels. So the mm -hmm. Angels make a move there. Um, my two final thoughts, I think for the first time uh, I've had two, or I have two, or both New York sports related. Welcome to the club. Um, so, yes, I'm now in, uh, enshrined in, the, in that club. Um, my first is on the Rangers and Tony D'Angelo. I, I think most of you are probably aware of the, the circus-like situation that happened with the Rangers over the last week and D'Angelo. Uh, you know, Adam was talking about Bauer and social media. D'Angelo has gotten in trouble uh, for social media uh, views, but also, I mean, it sounds like he's done some really insensitive things, uh, you know, borderline racist kind of behavior throughout his career. And, you know, things kind of hit a crescendo this week with, uh, with a fight, um, likely with their goaltender, potentially involving their uh, stud rookie defenseman, Keandre Miller. Um, so he's basically been banished from the team and I guess he's either going to be released or traded. So just kind of a, the Rangers are usually a well-run organization. You don't really see these kind of, uh, you know, circus like situations going on, but, uh, that was just one thing I wanted to bring up and, and hopefully the Rangers season will be going up from here. They did have a nice win tonight against the Capitals who've been playing well. My second final thought is a farewell to a great Yankee, Masahiro Tanaka, who had seven, let's call them very good seasons with the Yankees. He's returning home to his homeland in Japan. Um, and it sounds like he's not ruling out a return to MLB, but definitely sad to see him leave the Yankees. I know his uh, conclusion to his time at Pinstripes wasn't great, getting uh, kind of shelled in the playoffs and not having a great uh, final regular season start either. But over the course of his career uh, with the Yankees, he had a number of great moments, including uh, in the playoffs of 2017 against the uh, Indians and also the Astros. Um, so just a, a shout out to him as a, a very good, if not, you know, borderline great Yankee player. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I figured he was one of the, the better pitching free agents out there. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I would say the pandemic played into his decision to return. I mean, to Japan, that's where his family's from. And we all know they've handled the virus better there. So they're probably able to kind of 
be a well, little. I think, he, I think he wanted to go back to the Yankees. I think I think the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees didn't really want him. Say. They only wanted him back on on their terms, and I didn't think he wanted yeah. to go to another team. I think that was definitely a factor. All right. Well, my final thought: the Eagles have hired a new head coach, Nick Sirianni, the uh, former offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, um, who. who Coached under Frank Reich, um, was the Eagles OC when they won the Super Bowl. Um, myself and, and a lot of other fans really wanted Deuce Staley to get the nod. He's been with the organization for over 20 years as a player and as a coach. Um, felt like he has long paid his dues for the team. The players loved him. Um, a lot of both current and former players um, had lobbied for him to get the head coaching position. And I, I personally think that the Eagles might have. Missed an opportunity there. Um, I want to say he has gone on to Detroit. Um, obviously wanted a bigger role than what the Eagles had given him. Um, but I'll say this to, to, to Nick Sirianni. Prove me wrong. Prove us all wrong. We love it when you do that. Prove that you're going to be the best coach for the team, that you can get us back into contender status after a pretty bad season. You can maybe remake Carson Wentz. Um, get our offense back where it was in the late part of last decade and be the head coach that nobody saw coming. So I challenge him to do that. I, I look forward to seeing what he can do this season. And with that, that, that'll be a wrap on this podcast. We'll see you all next week. From Ian Gus, Adam Rosen, Mike Weil, and myself, good night.